Combat Ops Arena on Lay Road. They make this podcast happen. So make sure you're going over there and talking to my good friend Dave. He is the owner. Talk to him. Say you listen to the podcast. He'll set you up. He will give you the tour. He'll show you the laser tag. He will show you the Nerf Arena. He'll show you the axe throwing, the bowling, the arcade. It is a fantastic place. And it's uh, where the Comets go to play when they're not uh, on the ice. Uh, We took them there a couple weeks ago, and they had a fantastic time. So make sure you go over there and play where the Comets play. Combat Ops Arena on Lay Road, and check them out at their website, CombatOpsArena.com. All right, it is showtime. Podcast fans, it is I, Shane Alberani, bringing you another exciting edition of the Combat Ops Arena Comets podcast. And this one is uh, maybe a little bit more interesting than the other ones because we've got our first two time guests. Ben Boudreaux, assistant coach, and Captain Jamie Shaftsma. I uh, conned them into coming back to the office, sitting down and have another podcast, a dual podcast, if you will, as these guys are going to share Flint stories today. And the reason why that is relevant, the Hanson brothers from the movie Slapshot, they were in town uh, this past weekend, and these guys really lived the Slapshot lifestyle when they played up in Flint not too long ago. We're talking about a decade, and uh, these guys have got some wonderful stories. I've heard them a couple times, and I just had to bring them in to actually document them, get them recorded, and uh, get them uh, on the record that these things actually happened up in the city of Flint. So this is going to be a good one, or it is a good one, because uh, I recorded it. I was there. I laughed. Everybody laughed. So here we go. Flint Stories with Jamie Shasma and Ben Boudreaux. We're not here to talk about Shane's wardrobe, though, are we? No, we're not. We're here to tell we fun stories. An we'll maybe after this, though. On that. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> Part two: Flint stories and Shane's wardrobe. <laughs> Parts two and three. That's, yeah. uh, that's a lot of material about my wardrobe. Anyway, okay, Flint stories. Let's start. Okay, let's start with how about the break-in story of the cars, which is okay. a good one. So this is the year before Shasma got there. Okay. So my first pro contract I signed out of a free agent camp in Niagara Falls, and the head coach, GM, Peter South, was there. Um, I signed my contract. I went in kind of wide-eyed. This was my first uh, – you know, first thing I'm doing out of college was going to play hockey. <coughs> and I had gone to the Washington Capitals rookie camp, you know, first class, NHL, the whole nine. They're giving you, you know, a lot of money for per diems. And then I went to Hershey, uh, a lot of fans, exhibition game, American Hockey League, had scored a goal, feeling good. And then it came time to go to Flint's training camp that year. And we showed up and we were 
in one of the grungiest motels I think I've ever seen. And we all had to report for the first day to training camp. And it just so happened it was like 12 out of the 16 cars were all broken into by the time we got back from training. And I don't know how I came out unscathed but guys radios were missing i mean tail lights were missing one guy's bumper off the car was missing on his <laughs> ford truck you're probably I mean, getting paid 200 bucks a week so you didn't really have much in the car anyways it was I, <laughs> I was like 325 i was it was come on, be generous i was oh. a higher end rookie it was like 325 <laughs> a week back then so that was like the big welcome to flint story kind of thing so it was like all right i know where i am but that season only lasted 13 games before they fired the coach GM and cut six players, and I was one of the, the lucky souls to be cut 13 games into that season. So I made my triumphant return the following year when <laughs> Shaftsman was there. Was he a reason why you uh, made the team? Uh, I don't think he was. He was probably one of the reasons I didn't make it. And <laughs> we got better guys out here. Sorry, Benny. We're, we're letting you go. And I got into a situation. Ah, we need somebody, anybody that's willing to come back to Flint. And says, I'll take three twenty-five to come back. <laughs> so that wasn't bad. Oh, Benny, we needed. I needed Benny because he'd go out and, you know, just slash a guy in the back of the legs, <laughs> and the guy would turn around and maul him. So we get a two-minute power play. Then I could go out and do my thing. So. Yeah, they called me Splinter the Rat that year. From uh, if anybody doesn't know what the turtles are, because I would go <laughs> out and instigate when we were down a goal. They needed to go on the power play. I'd go stick a guy anywhere, flop, like it was a, a, a Hollywood 101 acting <laughs> thing. You know, anything. And, you know, I was a good salesman at the time, selling the penalty. And the second the arms ref went on, I said, okay, the guys are going to score. You are on the ice, Benny, back on the bench. I don't, I don't so. know how you would get away with doing that with how good these minor league refs are, you know? <laughs> Maybe they heard the yelp or scream after they hit me. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be laying on the ice two minutes. That was good stuff. Anyway, okay, let's uh, – okay, we got the car store out of the way. Now, we're, we're, Shavzi, were you around for – was it the radio interview guy? Where you had to the, go across the tracks. Did you have to do a podcast or no. it wasn't a podcast, but they like, I remember, no, this was the year before too, because okay. I was one of the early ones where they, they, cause I wasn't in training camp with Flint the year before, uh, the, the year after, but I specifically remember like we had a, a cop come with a map of the city and tell us like where not to go. And if you left the Pirani arena and went under the highway, and on the other side of town, mm -hmm. like that's a no-go zone mm -hmm. right away. Like you do not go down there. And I had to get gas there after games, and it was like, yeah, it was. I'm pretty sure I put the pump into my car, <laughs> got back in the car, locked the doors, waited till it was full, and then got back out. Yeah, so they like this. Here was a cop in the city, like, hey, you guys don't know Flint. Like this is, I'm yeah. telling you, you do not go here under any circumstance whatsoever one week into the season we got a pr guy that comes and tells us we got to do a radio video a radio interview right in the heart of where we're not supposed to go i not feel like good. i did do this now like i completely forgot but now you're yeah i, I think i did do this was that like a guy's house or it was a guy's like, house yeah, okay. and i'm looking for the house and there might be 20 houses on this one street but only two of them aren't burned down or <laughs> you know looted so I'm looking for the one house, and I think this is it, but it's all boarded up. You know, it's got boards on the windows and bars on the windows. It's like, nobody can live here. So I park on the street, and I go to turn. He's like, oh, you can't park on the street. Your car won't be there after. I'm like, what? <laughs> right? So I pull it around the back. He's like, he's doing like a triple lock on his garage, opening the garage, parking my car in, shutting it, relocking it. And I feel like we're going down into a basement, and I'm never getting out of this house alive. <laughs> 
Like that, like, and then we did the You're radio. You're going to wind up a lampshade? Is that yeah. what you're thinking? Yeah, and I'm looking over my shoulder the entire time in the radio interview. Like, what? Like, there's something that's coming out of the closet here anytime to, to jump me. But we we came out unscathed and a better yeah. person for it. So it was, uh, it wasn't like this luxurious cushion so it office. prepared you for this office and my Absolutely. old Coliseum chairs. Yeah. This, and, is, uh, this is first class when it comes to what we're, what we used to do. That's so. unbelievable. Like I haven't thought about that since that happened. And as soon as you started describing us, it started resonating with me that for sure. I, I remember going there. Yeah. I just sweaty palms driving down the street. Like I was so nervous. Like I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be here. <laughs> you know? And I really wasn't supposed to be there. So we, we got through it. It probably reached seven listeners in total that were listening by accident somehow. So did you guys know of the reputation of Flint before you guys got there? Or was it just something, Oh, Hey, Flint wants us to play for him. Oh, I'll just show up. It was hockey. Like that's yeah. all I I didn't know what Flint was. I'd never heard of Flint. You know, it was I didn't even know the history of Flint or yeah. the GM, you know, the history or anything like that. It was just an opportunity to play and that's the way I took it. Yeah, I, I remember, you know, I didn't I don't think I knew what the city was like that there was, you know, that much crime and yeah. everything at the time. Um, you know, I knew of the Flint Generals and I knew it was a hockey city, so I was you know, I was excited to play there. I, I actually lived in Windsor and drove every day so i didn't get the luxury of spending a lot of time <laughs> you didn't get in the this. full effect yeah i was more just uh <laughs> driving there and, and leaving all the time but um you know i still had i still had a little taste of it <laughs> well he was our leading scorer that year because he wasn't drinking the water on a daily basis <laughs> or showering within those domains or confines of the city yeah walls. That, that's right the water supply i mean it came yeah. to light yeah. years later or maybe not that long after you guys were there but you guys were certainly drinking the water too i think <laughs> benny's wife probably gives him the benefit of the doubt whenever he does something stupid she's like oh that poor guy had to drink that hey listen water. i had a full head of hair when i was in flint <laughs> and i started losing it you shortly thereafter yeah. you know where do i go to for some rogaine or something on flint's dime that's what i want to yeah. know but the, I'll tell you the welcome back, like I, at the the story where we got our cars broken into yeah. and everything. That was like my first impression. And the next year, I had signed with Dayton in the summer. Didn't make it out of camp. Waited three weeks. Got the call to go back to Flint. And uh, so I showed back up, and they put us in some actually some pretty nice apartments in Grand Blank, which was just on the outside of the city. And we we're it was within 72 hours. Like I had moved in, had had my roommate, and. We were going to a practice, and we practiced, I think, every day at 10.30. And we had a Chase Bank right at the front of our complex, and it was a really big complex, like a really big. Like yeah. there was 30 big buildings with, I don't know, maybe you know, 40, 50 units in each building. So it was a massive complex. There was a Chase Bank, and as we're exiting, I was driving, me and my roommate, Armando Scarlato, and we look to our left at this Chase Bank, and it's like 9.05 because it's a 10, 15-minute drive to get to practice. you got to show up by 9.30. And we see, like, a white van, and three guys run into the white van with guns. Like, and I'm not little guns, like big guns. And I'm like, you're still waking up. And I'm like, I'm not seeing this right. Like, that wasn't <laughs> what I thought. And they peel off, and we go in the other direction. And I didn't even think twice. I, I didn't see that. And then it was one, two, three, four, five, a dozen cops going in the other direction. And I'm like, did I really just witness that? Like, did, was I just witnessing that <laughs> three days into coming back to Flint was a live bank robbery? And so when we get back after practice, police are canvassing our neighborhood. We got a knock on our door at 2 o'clock wondering if we'd seen anything. So I told them. I was like, yeah, it was like 10 after 9. I see these guys running out of the bank. Like, I had to 
<laughs> give them a statement as to what I was witnessing. This is within 72 hours of coming back to Flint, just as I remembered it. So and you didn't so, call the authorities, though. You saw this, but yeah, you didn't pick it up. I, like, I didn't believe it. Like, I, I was like, this is not – like, I didn't think it was that close to me. I really didn't believe that I was in that <laughs> sort of like, situation. Am I still drunk from last night? I know. <laughs> is this like, happening? Like, that's – I just didn't think, like, that was possible to happen. Like, it wasn't me in that situation that would have witnessed it. And sure enough, I mean, that's exactly what had happened. The bank had been robbed. It had – been closed off for a couple of weeks for investigation and that was just right outside of flint so that was one of the the things like that was normal activity so it was just it was a new world you get really good at giving police statements while you're there right? yeah, absolutely absolutely <laughs> you give more police statements than you do radio <laughs> interviews <laughs> so oh that was good stuff so talk about some of the stuff that actually happened on the ice. We know that apparently Flint is not uh, is a dangerous place to be around, but what are some of the slap shot moments that happened on the ice in the locker room, stuff like that? Well, th th here's here's the best part. Okay, so the, I've got the fortunate position of having a father in hockey. So when I went to Flint, I got a dozen sticks um, from a trainer on his team. And I didn't know this at the time, but I arrived. There was no owner, right? Like the owner had taken off, and you guys had had kind of dealt with this. So the league was a seven-team league, and they had only guaranteed the salaries. You know, they wouldn't yeah. provide us with anything yeah. else at the time, and he, he'd been here for about a month kind of going through it. So when I showed up with a dozen sticks, guys were asking to buy sticks off me that were right-handed. I mean, Ronan, Maury, those guys were – right shock oh you got a couple and i was you know i'd play three four five shifts a game and <laughs> what do you need brand new sticks for you know <laughs> like let me because they would have to buy their own sticks yeah you know like the uh, team wasn't supplying you guys with sticks you'd have to go oh we'll give you a discount at the bob perani store you know but it's <laughs> like okay well i only make 300 bucks a week and each stick was like 300 dollars a stick so it was like it was kind of it wasn't 300 bucks i was exaggerating but that was kind of the some of the stuff where at first guys were asking to buy sticks within the first week of showing up and that was like the you know okay okay this is a little different for for me so that was even before we stepped on the ice guys were asking to buy the personal sticks i brought so that was like the first sort of sign that okay this might be a little different i remember having like mix mix and match sticks like i had a a blue inno stick and then i had one that said like uh it was like a red wings player or something like a a zetterberg and it was totally like this custom curve that I was not even close to mine. So I would have three sticks in my rack that were all completely different. <laughs> or you would like they were just like finding sticks wherever yeah. they could and just bringing them to the rink. Imagine the prime time Shaz using a real stick. He could have put up another 50, <laughs> 60 easily. He was going back and forth, back and forth. It was fooling but, goalies, though. Yeah, it was. <laughs> he was shooting left corner, and he'd be going five hole. Like, that would yeah. be the – because of the sticks, maybe you got to give him credit. But that was like that when the owner pulled out, they wouldn't – like, you'd get your paychecks yeah. every week, yeah. you know, which was a, a good thing. But, you know, it was like little stuff as the season started to wear on that, like, you wouldn't even think – that you'd be missing and it was like all right we're out of gatorade rookies you got to go buy gatorade and i was like i don't want to buy gatorade like that's unnecessary spending for me like right. i don't want to buy the team gatorade all right we're out of double bubble rookies you know you got to pick up a thing of double bubble and i was like jesus like this is starting to hurt the bank account and then we got down to seven pucks one time for practice nobody wanted to buy pucks <laughs> you know and that's where that's where like we 
we knew we would feel like semi-pro the movie we were all just like wow <laughs> this is like what is going on here yeah it was it was it was just a it's kind of funny now this is you know that we talk about it but you yeah. don't even realize when you're in it going day by day like how how different it is compared to where where some of the stops you've made before um so like you'd you know you'd practice and it felt like a dungeon too like the the rink it was so dark so grimy yeah you know like uh right out of a saw movie it felt like if they put an ice <laughs> rink in the middle of the saw movie we'd be right there and that would be our training facility yeah, I'm pretty sure we had to reuse clear tape, you know. <laughs> yeah, <that laughs> you roll it back up. Just you'd so you have the tape ball. You'd practice. be taking tape off the tape ball to keep the, the shin pads going. <laughs> you'd have to get pretty thrifty. Yeah, it, it was pretty bad. And then it was funny because that year, like as bad as, you know, we explain it, it was still a fun group. You know, we had a yeah. pretty good team. and We ended up coming back and making the playoffs and then, yeah. you know, making a good run out of it. And things turned around, you know, the owner um, – obviously came back into the picture when we started to have success we're in the finals and i i know i was owed like four months worth of rent money and we had guys <laughs> going to court with the team and uh one guy was even asked to go on judge judy for his case <laughs> that was pascal rayon yeah he brought it he, said, he <laughs> got a letter believe from... this but judge <laughs> all right judy. like when i hear this story all right judge yeah. judy okay flint and judge judy all right go. Well, so what? yeah we, we <laughs> were owed so like guys like me um, you know, like I said, I lived in Windsor, yeah. so part of my deal was to get uh, my mortgage paid for. So I think yeah. I got like a thousand, thousand dollars a month for my rent. And you know, there's other guys like Pascal Rayom and Brian Smolinski, and you know, these guys that lived close in the area that were weren't living at the team apartments had their own mortgages. So the team would pay for those mortgages, or they were supposed to. But about you know November, the check stopped coming, so. You know, it was just consecutive months. All of a sudden, we were owed this money. So, you know, I think it was Pascal that said, hey, let, we're, let's go to the – kind of organized everyone. Let's go to the court office. We file a claim and kind of explain how it worked. So <clears throat> there was about four or five of us that had a claim against the owner to get this, you know, yeah, get this money back. And, uh, yeah, Pascal Rayom comes to the rink one day and says, like, you're not going to believe this and has a letter that, you know, Judge Judy saying, hey, can we – have your case go, come to judge yeah. judy because it was just a, f a funny unique case i guess yeah. a hockey player and so yeah. and oh, it was only until the <clears throat> the threat of judge judy came that didn't you guys receive something well that and the fact that we made playoffs so i felt like once we made playoffs and we won the first round we were in the finals there was a buzz in the city all of a sudden the place was starting to fill up i remember coming in seeing the owner at one of our games all of a sudden it was like we hadn't seen that guy since the first day or something and remember the lights they did the brand new the lights, lights. They yeah. put new lights in the arena and it was like it looked like a whole new building and all of a sudden you know and then i got they said here's your check and you know all of a sudden there was money coming back and um so, so i mean it all did kind of work out yeah. in the end that everyone got what they were what they were owed so but you got to credit judge judy i mean she <laughs> stepped up brought brought the issue to the yeah. forefront and yeah. got the guys what they need so the real hero here is judge judy <laughs> that's it that's what you got to remember uh, well yeah, i think maybe we should have uh let's let's talk to management maybe we can have judge judy instead of the hansen brothers next year yeah absolutely that would be a judge judy night where everyone <laughs> dresses go. up we're in the little court uh <laughs> the black and white there but the um you know like we weren't doing very well because it was there was just so many other issues like guys weren't getting paid guys were struggling to just get sticks tape gum gatorade shower towels whatever it was it wasn't 
they didn't make it easy on you to have success. And there was like, I think there was like 24 games left in the season. And we had a players, players only meeting where I remember these, <coughs> the older guys, you know, Shas, Smolinski, Ray Ohm, Rick Smith, a couple of other guys, they all organized and said, look, it's so bad that they weren't getting the rent checks. It was costing them money to play. They said, do we just, do we just take a United front and stop playing? You know, do yeah. we just, do we the just do that? Yeah. Oh, it was, a, yeah, like a mutiny, but it was just, it just wasn't right at the same yeah. time. And then we just kind of said, you know what? We're already here at this point. We're just going to go through it. We're just going to find a way to get together. And the, the thing was, everybody loved each other on the team. The guys had, yeah. each, it was just a really cool group. And from there, in the next 24 games, I think we won 20 games out of the next 24 to um, clinch a playoff spot while we are in Fort Wayne. Because yeah. we called a timeout on the bench with three minutes to go down by a goal. And I remember Peter Seltz is saying, boys, you know, whoever lost, we're in the playoffs, right? Like there was a collapse, whether it was Bloomington yeah. or somebody. And yeah. I was like, great, you know, like six on five. And they, this game didn't matter anymore. So they put me over the, the bench to go take one of the face-offs. <laughs> I had never taken a six on five draw because I didn't belong on the ice at that time. This game doesn't matter. Benny, you're taking the face off. <laughs> so they put me out there. They scored an empty net goal. We lost. But we, still <laughs> made, <laughs> they, they still, we still made the playoffs. It was pretty good. So it was it was pretty funny how, how that happened. But it was, it was just a remarkable run that we went on. And those are the things that you remember. Like, yeah. There's all kinds of uh, horror stories, but those were the the fun ones. And it was like to have a guy like Brian Smolinski who had played eleven hundred yeah. games in the yeah. NHL. Pascal Rayom had a Stanley Cup ring with the New Jersey Devils, and I mean, you know, I'm and then our third line center was you know at twenty maybe even thirty goals that year. You know, it was it was crazy to see some of the talent and the guys we had on this team. It was just it was awesome and. I think it was Gentile and Tyler Howells had just won at Michigan uh, the year before, NCAA title. I mean, just so many great, great guys, great group of guys playing in maybe one of the worst spots you could. You had Craig Sesk on. We had big, big, big Sexy was there, too, with <laughs> almost 200 pims leading the charge. Yeah, with Shaftsma close behind. Second it was, place for pims. Yeah, and if, if guys don't see it now, they should look back in the history and see that you did have – was it 110 pims that season? Yeah, you were forced like forced to be reckoned with. Yeah. Well, but I had the Sescon was the sheriff. That's what they called him in, in the <laughs> OHL. I guess that was his nickname in the O, because he, you know, he was so you the, were the deputy. He was the boss. So then we came up with a name when he realized I was. He's like, "How are you second in penalty? <laughs> like you've been in what two or three fights this year?" I'm like, "I'm your deputy, man. There you I, go. I got your back." We'd patrol the red line. Like he'd be skating up and down the red line. I'd be just being a goof skating around there too the uh with with the hansen brothers coming in tomorrow and if anybody hasn't seen seen Slapshot, one of the the infamous things about the movie is their bus you know and yes. the whole premise to the story yeah, yeah. is that they they were a team that wasn't winning until they got tough and then the bus driver was sledgehammering holes into the side because it wanted to look mean and you know they had torn a strip off this thing they had shades on the window and it was it was absolutely crazy how how the disgusting General's this bus was how, and, and how the Flint Generals bought that exactly. And I they think the, that <laughs> <laughs> the Generals were down on their luck, so they purchased that bus from the '80s. Still had the speed holes on the side. 
<laughs> we'd be going. We'd have to drive like eight hours to Bloomington to play, and then we'd be in freezing cold January, and we couldn't watch a movie and have the heat on at the same time. <laughs> so it was one or the other. Guys wanted to watch a movie and take a blanket, and the, like the heat would stop once you put, hit play on or the VCR. Turn the volume or, up. Like I, I, <laughs> this is like not even a joke. Like uh, the bus driver would pull over. <laughs> change the belt or something underneath and get on just so we could have heat for half an hour and then we'd pull over again take change the belt and then now we could have sound on our movie yeah. like it yeah. was it was it was ridiculous like we'd have to plan in advance okay if we're going to break down we got to do it near a good exit where there's some food or something like we'd be planning our breakdown spots along the highway so a 4 hour trip could be 6 7 8 hours no problem so, so did you guys ever have envy playing against other teams like you come to Fort Wayne obviously they actually had sticks and tape and gum and fans, and fans. <laughs> yeah. so is there any envy going on when you go to other buildings well, yeah, for sure I'd, I'd try stealing guys sticks in the middle of the play <laughs> absolutely that's a nice one I'll hack it out of your hands and drop mine oh I accidentally grabbed yours yeah that was it was just I mean the the difference was was unbelievable that year but I mean then you also had Dayton in the league too which you know, wasn't too far off of Flint, and um, so and just, I, just to be uh, clear, so you didn't make Dayton's team, but you made Flint's. I made Flint's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, here was the thing: I signed for more than twice the amount of money in Dayton that they were going to pay me in Flint. Okay, and I was one of eleven guys with contracts they cut based solely on the fact that the owner had run out of money before the season even started. So they had just taken on a bunch of rookies, like with minimum, and I was like, "Hey, I'll take, I uh, cut my salary in half. I don't care. Like I'll just play." But yeah. like I wasn't one of the, the lucky ones, kind of, kind of thing. It was, I thought it, it was pretty bad there too. But it just doesn't compare to, it just doesn't compare to Flint. Like these, these stories are kind of, comical. Like again, like the league would only guarantee the salary, so, like you take it for for granted. Like we would play Wednesday and Friday in Bloomington which, you know, was a solid bus ride. I don't, I don't remember how far it was, but the league wouldn't say, no, we're not paying for your hotels. The owner sure wasn't paying for yeah. any hotels. So we would take a bus there on a Wednesday, drive eight hours back, you know, have Thursday off only to get back on a bus, like first thing in the morning on a Friday to go back <laughs> up there and play. And guys were like trying to pool money together to save money, say, no, we got to stay up there for a hotel. Like it was, you take those little things for granted, but that was that was one of the scenarios like it was kind of you know they couldn't even afford to give us hotels so we'd spend 16 hours on a road one day to play one game yeah. only to do it less than 48 hours later again to go go back there i remember we did get to stay in quad city though at that haunted hotel the haunted yeah. hotel yes yeah. it's a famous yeah. famous that place. was like our nice treat yeah. you know we got to stay at that place yeah. so. even though we got robbed during that stay yeah <laughs> i got i got robbed it was your my, credit card wasn't it yeah. it was, you no, it was, it was, it was actually uh it was my phone so like okay yeah when we're on the road we kind of used to leave our doors unhinged so you could yeah. move freely from room to room and hang out with guys and I remember me and uh, LaPointe uh, went across the hall, so our room was empty and unhinged. But, and, um, you know, even these, these guys that ended up, you know, they robbed us or whatever, they came into one of the rooms. They're like, oh, sorry. And we're like, oh, come in. Like, we had some beers with these guys even. We're like, you know, start hanging out and chatting them up a little bit. But they were there for like 10 minutes. They leave. Then I go back to my room, and I look for my phone to whatever, probably text Nicole and, all of a sudden I can't find my phone and I'm like, man, I think my phone's gone. Like, I think those guys must've stolen it. Like, you know, it was the only thing that made sense. So 
the rest of the trip, I remember like my roommates just like, hey, can you uh, check the weather on your? Oh yeah, your phone's <laughs> yeah. phone's not gone. Or, and the points credit card had a bunch <laughs> of charges. No, right. but his card at the time, he didn't know his card was missing. He was just beaking me the whole night, making fun of me for my phone being gone. Right, and there everyone was laughing about it, kind of. And then the next morning, we get up to go to breakfast or whatever, and he goes to pay, and he doesn't have his credit card, and he's like, "Where's my card?" And then. Oh, it was a heyday from there when I realized they stole his his credit card. They did a McDonald's run, yeah. a gas station run right out front of the <coughs> the hotel. It was yeah. He went online and checked and like saw that they had a bunch of purchases, like they had spent it already. So there we were doing. And now we we're in Quad City doing a police statement. I remember doing <laughs> another even, police statement. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, I I remember it was like my my first iPhone, and I was like. You know, I was rattled. I lost it. So I was like, what are the chances? Like, are you guys going to be able to, like, because we got the card. Like, you might know if there's video at McDonald's. Like, am I going to be able to get my phone? And the guy's looking at me like, you're never going to see that phone yeah, again. Never, we got never. so many cases here. Like, we're not checking the video at McDonald's to find these guys. And Guys are doing TV interviews in the Quad City locker room. We're doing police interviews in the Flint locker room. <laughs> Try, trying to get the game going. But you know what? Like, my favorite – like the one story, like I won't forget, and this this is hilarious. Just the buildup of it. Like we had a guy on our team that everybody loved, and he was a family guy, Chris Bogus. Okay, this this guy was just a beauty. We go in to Bloomington. They had a tough guy, Sawyer, at the time. Huge tough guy. Just you know, just couldn't do anything about it. He was just. Chavzy named his kid after him, right? Yeah. 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 He, 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 he forced just, me to. There you go. Yeah. He said, you're going to name your daughter after me or I'm going to beat the wheels off you right now. I said, done, buddy. So we're on a five-on-three, and this guy, for whatever reason, he's just a big galoot playing net front guy. Chris Bogus was trying to defend him. So this Sawyer guy just drops his glove and smashes his face and sucker punch. Like, sucker punches Bogus, Suck, breaks his nose. Yeah, breaks his nose. Right? And I just, between the second and third period, he's, I can't believe I'm playing for this friggin' team. I got kids to feed. My nose is bright. He was so mad. Yeah, it was just, mad. A, it was a bad play. And I think he was a guy that was, you know, he was so well-liked. He was yeah. kind of the locker room, you know, jokester. And everyone yeah. loved him. He was always a happy guy. And I, everyone was mad, you know. And he was really good friends with our coach Mazzotti yeah. and uh what a good temper of his own he would he's been in NHL fights and we we're like the game was like we we're done it was like 6-1 going into the third period and the the best part is is like everyone wanted to rat like wanted to get this guy but it yeah. wasn't like okay we're gonna send this into like Sescon out to fight yeah. Sawyer because like Sawyer was you know like he was Bigfoot he was a massive human being right we need to come up with a plan on how to seek revenge this 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 is the part that i've never seen in hockey and i don't think i'll ever see again but it was unbelievable as our coach actually comes in and draws up a brawl plan like he says we're putting we're changing our goalie we're pulling our you know first string goalie putting in nick Niedert, who's been in fights before and he said when the face-offs in this corner like tuzolino you're you're grabbing sawyer you know you're gonna start fighting with him Left winger, you're you're hooking around behind him like here, and you're just gonna come in and sucker him from the side. And I want these two D going. Nick, you're going all the way down. And we actually drew up X's and O's, a brawl plan. Yeah, <laughs> he's gonna come in off the left flank and sucker Boudreaux. this guy Shasma from behind. Boudreaux, you guys will be in the middle of the bench for this one. <laughs> yeah. You guys yeah. are sitting this one out. You know, but we had like big guys. Scarlato was there. Tuzzolino, Stephen Silver was Sescon. on the ice. Sascon was on the ice. Niedert came down and beat the living crap out of. 
whoever he grabbed, whether it was the other goalie, you watch the clip and he might have punched the guy 15 times in four seconds. It was it was unbelievable. So the uh, so it was a big big whoopla. Like it yeah. was crazy, and we were seeking revenge because we just this bogus guy was be- beloved. Like everybody loved this yeah. guy, and it hurt him to to be put in that situation. It hurt us to see that. Yeah. who was the core of the team. So, you know, Flint is kind of trying to bank on anything to get people through the door, right? They'll take any sort of excuse. And the thing that was selling is the revenge. Like it was revenge because we played them next Friday on our ice. So then we had, for the first time all year, TV crews come and ask us about hockey rather than, you know, trying to interview us for, you know, some sort of, you know, <laughs> crime or up. something. Yeah. yeah. So it was in the paper, you know, that this brawl had happened yeah. and, and I, th- I think too, our GM made a statement like we, we will get revenge. On we Friday vowed revenge. Or something like was like the quote in the yeah. paper <laughs> in big quote, like block letters, like front page, like we will get revenge. <laughs> and it was like, it was built up to the point that I was like, this is kind of scary, you know? And, but they went out and signed like three absolute meatheads from I don't even know where they got these guys yeah. the UFC the, or something. The one guy must have come from Serbia. He didn't even speak English. He didn't practice with the helmet or shoulder pads in the morning skate. I don't think one guy didn't even come to the morning skate. I showed up and he was he's there. Was, I, I remember walking in the room being like, "This is gonna be crazy," you know. And I walk in and the first guy I see is like just dead stare at the ground, not talking to anyone. Looks like a psychopath. <laughs> I'm like, okay, this guy's obviously a psycho. <laughs> one of the fighters. Then I walk into the bathroom area. There's another guy sparring in the mirror with his, like, hands taped up, like, all jacked up. Like, I can't wait. This is going to be awesome. This guy's, like, so talkative. And it was, like, it was it was pure comedy for me. Like, I'm like, this is crazy. Like, Yeah, he was throwing up in the toilet before the, uh, the game. He was so nervous because he knew what, what his – purpose was and the thing was is like they came to me and said well, you know ben like you, you don't belong in this game you got to go call the game up top so i was i took over shane alberani's spot <laughs> watching from the deck right and at this time the benches are together right there's right, one right. Yeah. thin piece of glass. Uh, glass right in right in between and they kind of know and it wasn't that they they had a tough team they had big guys that yeah. could fight and so we and tried was this were you guys playing Bloomington. Bloomington. Okay, so all right. It's, all right. Yeah, that was a tough So team. the original brawl was in Bloomington. In Bloomington, okay. Now we're coming back. It was the next game against them. Now we're in Flint. So it was all set up like it was just going to be a brawl. Yeah. Big buzz, too. Lots of people. Lots of tickets sold. Like, it was the first time we've had people in our home barn all all year and that was it like it was just wednesday thursday yeah. friday was the build-up it was the build-up like it was coming they knew it was coming and then i remember actually the first shift was like anticlimactic because our fighter who we thought was just gonna go out and kill somebody ended up fighting like i don't know if it was actually sawyer or who it was one of their big guys and their guy just pumped our guy the yeah first fight. <laughs> yeah and i felt so bad for him because i think that's the guy who was shadow boxing in our locker room before <laughs> but we we tried to get something going during warm-ups you remember like there was yeah. like the fans were loving it right like talking slashing and the the other team was just like yeah we know it's coming like they had this overdeveloped sense of confidence that they could beat us up no matter what and these new guys were trying to pump the crowd up and play to the crowd. And this, this guy had brought like 20 family members, cousins, friends, aunts, uncles, doctors, whoever it was that he knew that he was playing in the IHL uh, to come to the game. And so he was hyped up that people were watching him get the, the crowd going. And then he got beat up so bad in his yeah. first shift. 
So I think he ended up minus one too. So <laughs> he played one. We chance. were just looking at his stats. He had 19 <laughs> penalty minutes and a minus one. So he got he got <laughs> one beat, game played. He got beat up. He had like two two minors. Obviously, a four minute penalty for continuing altercation. Oh, I he, think the fight there is probably more than one. The first period was just fight after fight. I remember one guy even going to our own, like our not our owner, our GM and coach that was on the bench, Peter South. And being like, anything to sell tickets, like, keep them coming, was, you know, screaming at our coaches, you guys are just doing this to sell tickets or whatever. Yeah. And then the pane of glass went down. Like, I was, yeah, like, actually, this is an In awesome between the story. benches? Like, yeah. That, yeah. So, guys start, like, pushing back and forth. It gets crazy. Like, the benches are kind of going wild, and everyone on the ice is going wild, and the glass actually falls down. And I'll never forget this image either is the the referee. So it was a two man, you know, two linesmen yeah. and then one referee. The referee was Jimmy Hawthorne, this guy that's from Ridgetown and nearby town yeah. where I, I grew up. He's standing up on the plastic boards with his skates <laughs> in between the benches, <laughs> screaming at guys to like back up. You know, it was it was a sight like I've ne I couldn't even imagine it up like it was. It was absolutely ridiculous. But it it was, was an absolute melee. Yeah. And we didn't win the game, by the way. We didn't. <laughs> or, I don't think it or, mattered. Or all the, <laughs> all the fights. Yeah, we definitely didn't come out on top. We had some – I just remember the poor kid. I forget his name, but he was in the lobby where everybody waits for the players after. He's got ice bags. He's got a black eye. He's cut open, got stitches, the whole nine. He played less than 30 seconds, minus one, 19 penalty minutes, and black eye. But he's probably pumped, actually. Yeah, he was. He was very <laughs> proud of it. He was very proud of it. But that was the, that was, you know, the beginning of the, kind of how we, all grouped and rallied right after that. How we had all come together too. So that was that was pretty pretty funny. It was actually going back to the lights real quick like, yeah. to add on. I remember five minutes into a game the lights were so dark they were so bad before we we were winning and putting people in the stands it was so grimy and dirty that you could barely see the puck and nick Nieder, who's who's been a traveling goalie forever he's still playing to this day um they shot a puck from their own d zone on the penalty kill and it was way up in the air and it was curving i'm watching from the bench i was like is he gonna stop it can he even see it can he even <laughs> see it and he was just hands down by the side didn't move and it just hit him Bunk right in the chest and it like woke him up like he was like sleeping standing up and we're like what's going on like with the the referee even blew the whistle like thought it was abnormal like something's wrong with the guy and so we pulled their goalie five minutes in even though they didn't score on yeah. him and he's like well i'm colorblind i couldn't see the puck because it had just blended in with the the dark stands and the dark air blue seats right the, <laughs> I thought he could, wasn't anyone in the seats so yeah, the dark blue just, seats really <laughs> threw you off it was just hilarious and just kind of plunked him in the chest to to wake him up which, which was a great thing so uh, it was really fun <laughs> it was really fun and we did really well too actually like yeah. we we knocked out the first seed which was muskegon in the first round seven games game seven was a lot of fun i think jazzy scored off the opening face off like went went right in and, and we had put up seven goals that game like some some great it's memories crazy that you remember that like yeah that i I remember it was seven to four that game. Like it was a good game. Like well, you've played fifteen I seasons. Score I did first shift. I I, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I I th I think I scored two goals, but I had a ch like empty net chance for a hat trick with like twenty seconds left, and somehow like blew it. Like it was I don't know. But I you were. To do that but then you had an overtime goal too. I think it was against Fort Wayne. Smolenski tied it up late. Yeah. Yeah. And he scored the overtime goal on a wraparound, which was which was kind of crazy. Like it was just. 
those memories for me, they were so vivid and as crazy as they are to kind of tell. Like that was, you hear hockey stories and that's some, some of the life like you live sometimes. Like it's, you, you can pass these stories on for generations, but until you've been through them, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy. Like I had a, a lot of similar stuff happen in France, but this was, this was just so much fun. And then you look back on it and it's, you go through all that stuff. You don't realize it at the time, but it was a, such a memorable year. Mm-hmm. It was such a cool thing to be able to play alongside a Stanley cup winner and a guy like Brian Smolinski and um, stuff like that. So it was, it was a lot of fun. I'm glad, glad I was there for it. But did any time uh, you so you were married, right? Chavzy at the time. Was uh, there, I was actually we were engaged. But there, was there a time where she says, "I can't stay here. I can't, I gotta." Well, we didn't live there. So right, she, but but still, but she was coming to see you, right? She was coming to the games. Yeah, I mean, I mean, she was never like that. So she, uh, you know, she just kind of rolled with all the punches all the time. But you know, like like Benny said, I mean, it was a you know there was a lot of negative stuff that year going on with the team. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think I grew as a person. I think everyone did to kind of like, you know, you learn to turn things like that into a positive. And I still look, I still look back on that year as a great year, you know, and as much as, you know, we were, things went wrong or for whatever reason, I still, you know, I had a great time. I, I really enjoyed it. And had they not folded, I probably would have signed back there the next year. <laughs> I, I loved it that much. And um, it, it was good. like our last game in Flint, it was sold out. Yeah. And it was a raucous crowd. Like, it was awesome. Like, that that overtime win was, like, one of the best games I've ever yeah. been involved with. We had all the crowds. Uh, the crews there, it was 13 seconds ago, Smolensky tired. I had all the storylines, which was awesome. Yeah. It was just – it was such a cool thing, it, which makes you forget about everything else, you know, at the time, the freezing cold bus rides, the fact that you had to pay for your own bubble gum and clear <laughs> tape and shower towels that <laughs> – didn't have bed bugs infested in them or something so it was uh it was it was it was a fun fun experience but does any part of you guys yearn for those days at all like maybe something like that could happen you know tomorrow night you know do i yearn do you <laughs> do i yearn <laughs> I, I a lot of cravings but do you yearn <laughs> i've wanted to yearn i can't say i've ever yearned this is a seinfeld reference too for anybody listening or yeah uh, uh, benny uh, and i have our own language seinfeld which no one gets <laughs> sorry I, what was I the question seinfeld but not that not enough to catch that one so. yeah Oh, what, what was the but, question but I do forgot? You, but yeah. do you guys like, uh, you know, sometimes well, are you crave... asking? Do I not want to get my paycheck next week? No, no, no. But just the way, <laughs> you know, a, a drawn-up brawl. Could you imagine that happening today? And this wasn't that long ago. I actually you know. think of stuff like that and how much it meant to me that, like, you know, if I was a coach one day, like, I still think of Mazzotti doing that as yeah. one of the greatest things ever. That if I was ever put in a position, I, you yeah. know, I. I can't. I hope the ECHL is not listening to this. <laughs> I, I, you know, nowadays you can't. You just can't do that stuff. Yeah. So I, yeah. it probably will never be replicated. But it's just things that I have. You know, when I look back at whatever it was, I just have fond memories of it. It's. It was. I, it was. You know. It, it was, was the great. first thing I brought up when I saw him at the draft this summer. Hey, Muzz, remember that play? He's like, yeah, I got that one in my pocketbook just for just in case. Like it was, oh, that one was awesome, too. I just remember Nieder dragging the guy off and punching him so many times. It was awesome. And Scarlato trying to sucker the guy, too. So it was I – mean, we there's so many stories like we had. We, we'd we get a phone call at 5 o'clock. Oh, you need to pick up this player at 7 at the airport in Detroit. And, uh, you know, we don't have any – uh, hotel deals or any extra apartments or he's going to live on your couch for the next month 
it's like, okay, you know, no problem. We picked up a guy who'd be living on our couch, and it was just, you know, that was what the expectation was, is give him an extra blanket or a pillow and put him on the couch. And, you know, those were those were just a part of what, what you'd go through on a daily basis, and the three of you would find a way to get through it together, three guys from who knows where coming together and forming, you know, lifelong friendships, which was a cool thing. And my roommate at the time... You know, he was a way better singer than he ever was a hockey player. That's <laughs> he was so talented with the guitar, could sing piano. We, piano, like we'd be waiting for the bus to to board uh, to go in a hotel, and they'd have a grand piano, and there he would be playing, you know, some Elton John type music or something, which was kind of cool. And now he's got this international career on his hands, where he's like a superstar in Europe, kind of. Yeah, he do, he does well, and I re I vividly remember too him <laughs> saying to me. <laughs> He was singing in the shower one day or something, and he's like, Jazz, I'm telling you right now, one day I'm going to be on stage, and there's going to be thousands of people listening to me. I'm going to be like this big big international star. And he had like, you know, he was, I couldn't believe the confidence on him to yeah. say something like that to someone yeah. like me. Like, he was just like, it's going to happen, man. It's going to happen. And I was like, I hope it does, man. Like, give me backstage passes. And yeah. It's crazy. He's from from for. And here's a, a shout out to him. If anyone wants to listen to his music, his name is Armando Scarlato, and uh, he's got some some pretty good songs out there. His mom made the best sandwiches. Big Italian family. Like it was the best thing when they'd visit because I was too poor to buy groceries, so they <laughs> fill us up with everything too. <laughs> so, so yeah. So was there? I mean, you obviously shared tape and stuff like that, but yeah, was there was there rationing going out between the players? Like I can't afford food this well, week. Well, he he lived with Benny, and I can tell you, Benny probably lost weight that year, and he gained weight because <laughs> he was not a slight guy at all. He, no. He no. looked like a baseball player playing hockey. <laughs> yeah, who's that? It's like Sabathia with him, and he'd be oh, competing okay. with Sabathia for a body type out there. You know, he was a <laughs> he's a big bruiser. God love the guy, but it was it was awesome. I actually remember Derek Parker was one of our our tough guys on that team who was uh, an, another guy who I can describe as just a pure psychopath, like just yeah. a killer on the ice. You know, just couldn't play the game at all. Yeah. Couldn't take a stride but would fight anyone and was super tough. And I guess it probably was near the end of the season where we were like, all right, we are trying to make a run yeah. for playoffs here. We need to probably get rid of this guy. So we end up trading him to Dayton for, I think, some kind of skilled player. I don't remember. And a box of pucks. Yeah, we probably got our pucks and yeah, <laughs> some Gatorade. Some gum and some shower towels. Washing too machine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> traded a washing machine. So uh, – so anyways, he gets traded to Dayton, and I remember him lining up. like, And even in warm-ups, he's like, hey, I'm going someone on. Like, we're going tonight. I'm fighting someone on this team. I don't care if we were friends before. I'm fighting. I'm fighting. you just calling on the whole team, you know, and everyone's like, I don't want to fight this guy. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and he was lined up on left wing, and Scarlato was on the left defensive side in front of our bench. And I just remember the perfect angle I was at. I was sitting on the bench, and he's telling Scarlato, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. Of course, our centerman wins the puck right to Armando. Yeah. Armando's kind of backing up towards our bench, and this guy's just beelining it right at Armando. <laughs> and last second, Armando moves the puck and just cross-checks him right <laughs> in the face. <laughs> like, yeah. right in the face as, as hard as he could. Yeah. And I could tell how he was scared, you know, so he's just protecting himself. Right in the face, 
sheds his gloves so fast and just starts like jackhammering him <laughs> in the face. And while he's doing that, like this guy's kind of stunned, but still manages to crawl up, like grabbing onto his jersey to stand back up. That was a beauty. Was I like, remember that. It was unbelievable. Like <laughs> yeah. it was just, and it was a, ended up being a great fight and fighting for his life. Everyone just had a lot of respect for him though, because this guy was a psycho going oh, after. Yeah. It but was, I still I had respect for Parker. I was like, he just took a cross check to the face, like right to the head, and yeah. just like it dazed him, obviously. But he just crawled back out of it. Like it was awesome. I would have been dead. I think I might have <laughs> just like laid on the ice for a few days. Yeah. What what a full circle story though, eh? Like I just, it's, you know, I was living next to Sescon with his now wife Kelly, and you know, we have Shaftsma, and now all three of us were on the team. Almost ten years later, you know, still together. It's a cool. It's a cool thing, cool thing to be a part of, knowing that you've been in the trenches almost right. a decade before. Before you're going in the trenches now, a lot better, better circumstances, of course. But but Benny, two guys are still playing. You're behind the bench. Well, yeah, I, <laughs> <laughs> my career was over before it ever began. So <laughs> I always said I was a lot smarter than I was more talented. So that was probably the reason as why I'm a coach. Do as I say, not as I do. I was on a great goal per game pace there if i played another 47 games that year i would have ended up with two goals so. that reminds me i played with uh a guy who played in the american league he scored like one goal. he was a fighter scored one goal in like four games or something and then when he got sent down to the coast he's like yeah well i you know i scored a goal in four games so i should be like you know almost a point a game guy in the coast like well, I don't think it really translates like that. Yeah, it wasn't close. I th I had two points in two games in the IHL. I should have just retired right then, right then and there. You scored your first goal here in Fort Wayne, though, right? My second, second goal. Second, no, my second pro game. I scored okay. my first goal against Fort Wayne, which was awesome because I cut the lead to eleven four <laughs> at that time. I had scored our fourth goal. That's and how you got on the ice. That's 11 how. 11-3, Benny, get out there. Well, actually, because that was a melee, too. Like, there was, like, we got all sorts of guys getting kicked out, and I was I was forced to play. But even though I scored that goal, I had – I was still minus six that game somehow. <laughs> so I was on the ice for two goals, four, and I was still minus six in that game, which is not a – but it was a really nice goal if anyone sees it. It's like, see, I, I could have done this. I blacked no. out. <laughs> Do you guys now, if you hear anybody complain in the locker room now, do you say, oh, you have no idea? Yeah, I don't I don't think guys really complain around here. I think, uh, you know, guys know it, they get treated well. So, but yeah, I mean, if, if that does, yeah, they haven't seen anything. I mean, my, my time in Europe too, kind of, you know, there's a lot of teams there that, you know, they just, cert certain things are just different. I remember going to places and not having like, the internet for yeah. two months and it was like how do we not have internet and they're like oh we don't even have internet in this town it's like what <laughs> because like we were thrown back 20 years and nicole would have to go to the i remember her going to the arena to download shows for us to watch when we got home because the tv was italian right. couldn't go on the internet so she would download like movies for us to watch and then skype her parents while i was practicing and so i mean through through all that kind of stuff i i learned to get used to yeah it. but now like even now like if we get on the bus sometimes the the wi-fi isn't that great and you can say at least we have heat guys yeah <laughs> well that's 
you know, like take your choice. Do you want to be cold, <laughs> hot, or watch a movie? You know, like this is now yeah. we're in a luxurious world right now too. First world problems. Yeah. When guys are complaining. And the, the other thing too, it's like you know we can remove like you know you have two seats in the bus yeah. and that the handle that separates the two seats it can go up and down. The Flint bus it did not. It was stationary, so you couldn't even lie down on the bus if you <laughs> wanted. Like that was the painful. Yeah, like, do you remember that? Like seat, so you actually can't lay down. Yeah, <laughs> like you know, it was broken. Like your back would be so stiff because you couldn't move on that bus. That guys were sleeping right on the floor, you know, right down the aisles. It was, it was. Oh man, you almost had to see it to believe it. Sometimes it was pretty, pretty funny. And <laughs> I'll finish with this one, but we had a New Year's game a New Year's Day game, and it was it was like an afternoon game, like a 2 o'clock okay. game or something like that. And I New wasn't, Year's Day? I'm pretty oh, sure. We must have had a great New Year's Eve that year. Yeah. I'm, it was either – it was like on the second or it was on the first, but it was like the first game after yeah. the New Year. And I was told that I wasn't going to be playing that game because they were out. So I went home for, for three days. Yeah. I got to see my family or something. Maybe I was injured. I doubt it. I was probably a healthy scratch. But <laughs> the uh, – so I was coming, I was coming back, and I showed up uh, to the game as as one of like the first guys, you know, like if the game was at two o'clock, I'd shown up at eleven thirty, and just our everybody would take like the bottom entrance, and I noticed there was a few cop cars, but nobody was in the parking lot. Yeah. Like this, it was still a holiday after Christmas, and nobody was in the parking lot. Well, they had taken away a dead body from the the Piranha rink. There was from the arena. Somebody itself. tried to break in to the rink and robbed the store and somebody was shot and killed inside the, the team store uh, right after New Year's and it was like an active crime scene going on but we played the game that day anyways. They, they shot a Flint Generals fan? <laughs> just trying to get steal a jersey? <laughs> well, this was like when the the rink was closed but li- like this was, these were just common things like ah, the game can play we'll do our act we'll do our investigation during the game in the store we just won't sell any merchandise that day so it was the naggy family that ran that store too i remember and they did that was one of the the talking points it was just crazy they were trying to get a boudreaux jersey before they were sold out right yeah because they made one there was only one person that bought it and that was my mom so (laughs) so still hanging up in my closet by the way too so it was that was good stuff well, we get enough of you Flint guys. We'll have to have a Flint night. We'll, you know. Yeah. That'd be great. <laughs> Is there anybody still playing from that team? We had Jake Pence, Ronan's coaching, you know, bring back Rayom. Rayom got into coaching. I don't think anybody else is really playing from those days. No, I think it's just Sescon and you. Mm-hmm. The two young bucks that Look at keep, that. keep yeah. going. The sheriff and the deputy. Sure. It's still patrolling the ice, baby. <laughs> That's it. You yeah. Know? And then, well, I mean, there is a connection to Flint because the Comets are the Flint franchise. When the team up and moved to Albany, the team folded in 1990, and the Frankies bought the Flint franchise and moved it to Fort Wayne. So there's always that connection between Fort Wayne and Flint. Really? And now here you guys are telling the stories. Yeah. Well, we're, I was saying last night, Sescon scored, and he's had a few points in the last few games. And I said, see, just imagine what you do in a well-lit building. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I could have gone somewhere. <laughs> could have been somebody. Yeah, could have. Oh, he's great. It's good to have him back. So that was, it's, it's a funny dynamic now that uh, I'm putting him out on the ice, and I was his neighbor, and we were running mates there for a while. His wife, Kelly's a great woman, and it's just it's a cool dynamic to be a part of. So it, that's when hockey comes full circle. So everybody be thankful these guys are still around and telling these stories, and Benny will be putting out his book. You know, your dad wrote a book, so I think 
yeah. little Flint stories. His was Confessions of a Hockey Lifer. Mine will be part two, you know, but <laughs> I wasn't around during those parts. He told me when he'd get pulled over three times in the same day by the Toronto police, you know, and still get let off every single time. You know, I don't think those those stories come about anymore these days, but we'll find a way to create our own. That's right. Yeah. There we go. There we go. All right. Flint stories, uh, part one, part two, part three. I think we got it all here in one episode. So, so yeah. thanks, fellas. I appreciate it. I'm sure everybody else will enjoy it. So, uh, yeah, go, uh, go generals. Yeah. Go Jennies. Long live the Jennies. <laughs> thanks. In case you were wondering, Jamie Shoutsma never did get his iPhone back. So if you see him around, go up to him, give him your condolences, and uh, make sure you tell him that you had a great time listening to this episode with him and Ben Boudreaux. It was a lot of fun. Flint stories, we could tell them for days. And hopefully we can get Craig Sescon on the show, and he can also tell some. Uh, Craig was supposed to be on with us this week, but unable to make it. But that just means there's more stories for the rest of us. So thanks for listening to this episode. It was a lot of fun. And uh, thanks to Ben and Jamie for coming back in and doing another episode. So I've been your host, uh, your play-by-play announcer, and uh, everything all around uh, fun guy, Shane Alberani. And thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Combat Ops Arena Comets Podcast.